This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. My bad. I got the out time mixed up. It's the start of the show. Yeah. <sighs> Hour number two of Toronto today. Brought to you by Lease Busters. Lease Busters will get you out of your car lease today. It is easy as pie. Piece of cake. Avoid penalties and early termination fees. Visit leasebusters.com. Coming up a little bit later on this hour. Uh, the friend of the Garfoos will join us, Dirk Hayhurst. And I'll talk about the Blue Jays. Who who knew? We'll talk Blue Jays. We'll talk about what I'm what I'm concerned, uh, curious about. Hayhurst, when he gets off the beaten path a little bit, uh, his stories are awesome. As you know, as a listener, that's when Hayhurst shines. And we are in the silly season right now. We're we're talking about which player is going to go to which team at the trade deadline and what the Jays are going to do, blah, 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 blah. So we're looking at it from the perspective uh, in this chair, from the media's perspective, from your seat right now, you're just caring about it as a fan, what your favorite team, and presumably in this market it's the Blue Jays, what the Jays are going to do at the deadline. You've kind of got the blinders on. And one of the things that we rarely talk about is what it's like for the players. And when we do talk about that, we always talk about it at the major league level. Dirk played in the majors, obviously, but to get to the majors, you've got to go through in baseball a very intense, very lengthy process of developmental, uh, the developmental part of your career in the minors. We never talk about how much discussion goes on at the minor league level. When you're in A ball and you're hearing that you're franchise is selling a player or your team maybe I guess more accurately your team is going to be acquiring a player the team is in contention the team is going to make a deal you know it's going to add and it doesn't want to give up anything off the current roster that means it's going to be giving away prospects in return what do guys talk about on the minor league level how are the top prospects affected by this I don't think I've ever asked Hayhurst this, so we'll get into that a little bit and get his thoughts on blisters and what might be the cure and how he feels for Sanchez, because I feel awful for the kid, because there's nothing he can do. He's tried everything. Done that. He did that pretty grotesque-looking nail thing. That was bad. But he tried to fix it. And also joining us uh, will be the 2017 recipient of the Lorne Rubenstein Award, for his tremendous impact on golf as a writer, Ian Hutchinson will join us, and we'll talk about the uh, uh, the British Open as well. Uh, I didn't want to go here, but I'm going to go here, because this was a fairly... We won't talk about this guy much, I hope, but we, off the top of the show, we we're talking about O.J. Simpson. And I, I, this isn't about O.J., so if you're thinking about going click, bear with us for a second. Uh, this goes looking forward, and it gets into the whole discussion about Halls of Fame. And when you get a badass like O.J. Simpson, what do you do if you're the league? Do you kick him out of the Hall of Fame? If you are the Buffalo Bills who have honored O.J. Simpson, what do you do? Do you take him off the wall? 
and I'm not just talking about Simpson. I'm talking about there are many cases of this. What do you do with a player like this? Uh, Joe Narsi is our producer, and he got pretty riled up about this this morning. So we'll see if he can bring the heat uh, this afternoon. You are you're a firm proponent of of getting O.J. Simpson out of the Hall of Fame, correct? Yes. Why? Because I believe that at a time where doing the right thing has hopefully been at the forefront of most of league's mandate, especially with the way the NFL treats their players when it comes to situations that are unbecoming of the league, mm-hmm. I think that having a criminal in your Hall of Fame does not suit the league very well. Mm-hmm. And now, stating that, that's about what he went to jail for now. Sure. Because the other thing was... He was not guilty not of guilty. murder. So you can't kick him out of the Hall of Fame for murder, even though we know he did it because he wasn't convicted of it. Agreed. But what I think is that if you can suspend a player for potentially being somewhere that he shouldn't have been, although he didn't do anything wrong, Mm -hmm. and you will not let in a player into the Hall of Fame because you don't like the personality or they're not the most likable guy... Mm-hmm. That's Terrell Owens' argument, and sure. I'm not making this argument because he played for the Eagles. That's just his as, argument. As a pl- well, as a player, Terrell Owens is, I don't know if he's the second best receiver I've seen behind Jerry Rice. He's in the conversation. Like, he was that good as a receiver. Yes. He's definitely my top five, and I'd have to sit down and do the rankings, look at some of the numbers. But when you kind of go gut test, is he a Hall of Famer? Even though he was a horrific teammate, which is keeping some of the people from voting for him because he was such a bad teammate in so many different instances, especially with quarterbacks. You know, how can you be a great team when he's hurting your team? As a teammate, he hurt you, so he shouldn't go in the Hall of Fame. I I can understand why somebody's going to go that way. As a talent, he's in, no question. But, okay, the guy's a bad guy. He's an idiot. The, the, he's, he's not nice to the media. That shouldn't that shouldn't matter at all, um, in my estimation. If it hurts his team on the field, like Owens did, different question. So I get that. O.J. Simpson, if you kick O.J. Simpson out of the Hall of Fame, how many guys in any Hall of Fame are you going to have to kick off? Ty Cobb, gone. Gone. And where is the line? Is it if you are convicted of something, doesn't matter what it is, from DUI to... Uh, drug possession, do you kick them out of the hall? Where's your line? I think for me is, you just said with Terrell Owens, there's that gut check. Mm-hmm. No, but if you're going to kick somebody out of the hall, well, I think there or is, keep there somebody is... from going in the hall for indiscretions off the playing field. To me, it has to be a very high-profile moment. Or, it's a Hall of Fame player, though. Or criminal activity. I mean, listen. So you don't have a guideline. This is a gut thing. This, yes, but here's why. I think that if you walk through the Hall of Fame and you look at the best running backs in the game, yep. When you get to their plaque, you'll say, "Oh wow! Like I remember he did this, and oh, I remember when he played this game it was fantastic." You look at O.J. Simpson's plaque, and you do not think the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're in the Hall of Fame. You will look at that plaque and think only one or two things. Mm-hmm. I just find it interesting, and this might take it in a different direction, but I find it interesting that once this player has been in the Hall of Fame, there's never there's never really this outcry to take him out, but for players that can get in, there seems to be a higher level 
of expectations for them to get into it. For example, and I brought up an, a question to you. What about a steroid user in the steroid era? Steroids were legal. They, right. they were illegal, but they were not banned by baseball. But they'll probably be harder on a player like that getting in than sure. the conversation of taking O.J. out because most people will just say, no, he was a great football player. Okay, let me throw another one at you. Is Ray Lewis a Hall of Fame player? Ray Lewis um, had charges dismissed because he testified against two of his uh, two of the other people involved in a double homicide where he was. For the same reason that we were talking off, Aaron, you just you said before, with the fact that he wasn't convicted of it mm-hmm. allows allows him to be able to debate that, and because there's that debate, it would be unfair because a court of law said that he did not. Okay. So where's your line, though? My line the, is once you're convicted of a severe crime, so you should not be in a Hall of Fame if you are there because I think you're a bad representation of the league. Okay, so O.J. Simpson, for the robbery conviction alone, should he be in or out? Well, it was an armed robbery, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He so, wasn't the guy with the gun, though. Yeah, I think so, because in most places, in most work environments, that stuff is completely unallowed. And if mm-hmm. you were to do something like that, I don't think your organization or company would want anything to do with you in the future. Mm-hmm. So I just don't feel like... If a person is able to do something like that outside of the field and outside of the game, that should he should be memorialized, recognized, and remembered as something great because ultimately he is not. So we're, and, and trying to think about guys who have been removed from a Hall of Fame. Alan Eagleson comes to mind, the, the player agent who was uh, enshrined as an honored member of the Hall of Fame uh, in the builders category for, for what he did for the growth of the sport. And legitimately, okay, fine. And then as... We find out more and more cases of where he ripped off members of the Hall. He resigned uh, his place in the Hall of Fame because there was a backlash. Bo- uh, Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr, players like that were saying that uh, Brad Park was a big part of this, that if, if Eagleson is a part of this, we're out of the Hall of Fame. So they were. It, this is kind of like Richard Nixon resigning before he was going to be impeached. Eagleson asked to be uh, resigned his spot as an honored member because they were on, working hard to get him out of there. Does there have to be a process? Does this have to be a major vote? Uh, should this be a unilateral thing by the board of directors of the of the Hall of Fame? I mean, how how do you take somebody out of the Hall of Fame? O.J. Simpson, if you if, if if folks aren't old enough to, I know you you're not old enough to have watched him play. I watched him play as I was a kid. I think I was ten when he had the two thousand yard season. Um, and he was the talk of the town. He was the talk of the country. He was it. I mean, there was a juice watch. Buffalo, New York Jets should not have been a national game that day. It was uh, because of uh, because of O.J. Simpson and the, the opportunity that in, on a snowy day at Shea Stadium, he may break that record. Um, and he did. He was a he was beyond a superstar. And if you do your uh, a top ten list or whatever of top running backs, and we were talking about this, and I was trying to figure where he would slot in. And to me, Jim Brown, who I did not see live, but have read about enough and watched enough film on and listened to players talk about him, Jim Brown, probably the number one back in NFL history. For me, Walter Payton would be two, and O.J. Simpson would be three. He was that good. I hate saying that now, but if you just look at him from a football perspective, which is what the Hall of Fame is doing, in my eyes, O.J. Simpson 
is the number three running back in NFL history and in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not the Pro, you know, lifestyle, not the Pro Nice Guy Hall of Fame, O.J. Simpson's in there to be recognized for his football talents. He didn't violate any aspect of the game like Pete Rose did, where there is one commandment. This isn't, this isn't uh, Christianity, where there are ten commandments. This is baseball, where there is one commandment. Thou shalt not bet on baseball games. And he broke the commandment. So he's been banished from the Hall of Fame. It's a very easy line to draw. With the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Simpson has been recognized for his on-the-field accomplishments full stop. And for that reason, I think you, you, if you leave him in. If you want to add something to the plaque, maybe you do that. But the one thing that you would have to talk about with O.J. Simpson, if you were going to put up something on his plaque as something to discredit him as a person, it would have to involve something that he was found not guilty of. And if you do that, it's a hell of a slippery slope. The bigger question is, what should the Bills do with him on their wall of fame? Or in the in, in a local hall of fame where you're known for more than what you do on the field, you're known for what you have done in the community. And for a long time, a long time, O.J. Simpson, even though he wasn't a big fan of the city of Buffalo, when you, when you heard some of the subsequent interviews, um, and some of the guys certainly in the organization, he's a guy that gave back to the community. I mean, there was that side of O.J. Simpson. As a team, as someone representing the community, as opposed to the sport in general, should O.J. Simpson be taken off the Wall of Fame in Buffalo? If you go to a game at Ralph Wilson Stadium and you, and you look up at the wall, you see O.J. Simpson's name, and if you're old enough to remember the trial, you look at it and you go, why the hell is he there? It's an interesting debate, and we can get into that again at another time when somebody else does something stupid. First up, though, we're going to talk some golf. The uh, the Open Championship underway time for one of our golf insiders, brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. And uh, joining us, a bon vivant, a man about town, a personality extraordinaire, a uh, longtime golf writer, Ian Hutchison joins us. What's up, Hutch? I'm just wondering how he. Why is it you were talking about someone doing something stupid and then you introduced me? Because <laughs> I know you. <laughs> How's that? How did you enjoy the golf this morning? Very interesting. Um, I think we're looking at a pardon the pun a bland British Open. Okay. Shall we say? Okay. Um, I think you know watching Richard Bland. It's kind of interesting to watch that guy. You know, he's a journeyman European Tour player. He's two under right now through the day, and on a day like today. That's a fine score, you know, and I think that's really what the British Open is setting itself up to be this weekend. You know, anything we say at the midway point is kind of inconsequential because I can see a lot a lot of things changing over the weekend, including the leaders coming back to the field. So it's going to be very interesting on the weekend. I didn't watch from stem to stern, but when I, what I did see, the, the weather wasn't spectacular. Yeah. Uh, it was very windy, and there's one thing, one score that just jumps out to me. Because yesterday, Zach Johnson, in pristine conditions, <laughs> shot a 75. Today, with the wind howling, he shot a 66. How the hell did that happen? 
You know, it, it, it also depends, too, on which way the wind is blowing as well and whether it works with your shot shape or not. There's all kinds of different different things that, that enter into it. And that's the beauty of Lynx Golf, as far as I'm concerned, is that you can go out and play one day and, and the conditions just aren't working in your favor. And maybe that's what happened with Zach Johnson yesterday, but today he's, you know, I mean, you're talking to you know, guy who's won a couple of majors, and he's he's used to dealing. He's used to coming back from a score like that. So, you know, anything can happen, and that's really what I'm talking about. Is you know, as far as the field coming back, or the guys, you know, from middle of the field coming up. You know, a guy like Zach Johnson with a four under today. So, there's all kinds of things that can happen on the weekend, and that's certainly one of them. I just I just thought that was outstanding. And if that had have been. Um, you know, a Euro who's used to playing Link style and used to playing in that crappy weather, like, oh, I don't know, Rory McIlroy. Um, that makes a lot more sense to me. But, you know, as an American who's taught to hit it long and hit it straight and hit it high, um, I, I, I just think that's a, that, that might be the story of the tournament, the bounce back today for him. You know, one of the most interesting stories that I've ever heard about the British Open was talking to Tom Watson, who's won so many, including you know, back in 2009 when he was in a playoff to win it again at age 59. Yeah. You know, Tom, Tom Watson, when he talks about you know, his first experience with, with Lynx Golf, he talked about playing a, a, a practice round, and he, uh, he, he teed off on the first hole of his practice round and he put it in the fairway. He swore he put it in the fairway. He couldn't find his ball. And I remember him saying, I'm going to hate this. <laughs> and look at, look at the number yeah. of championships he's won. And, and he's so, he's certainly it out. I can't figure it out. But that's, I'll tell you what, I know in the past, I remember about 10 years ago, we all went over to Ireland. Uh, a bunch of us went over. And um, we were, you know, went over with the idea of, you know, typical British Open golf. I mean, that's what you always think of going yeah. over there. And I'll tell you what, we went over there, the sun was shining. It was about <laughs> mid-60s temperature in October. We were disappointed. <laughs> we were disappointed that the weather was so good because we wanted to feel that Lynx-style golf. Yeah. And it's really a part of it. You know, just that the way the wind can play, you know, such a factor in success or failure. You, know? I- and, you know, and it's... and. It, Royal Birkdale can be a different golf course every day. I yeah. mean, you know, the practice rounds were played in relatively benign conditions, you know, until Wednesday when they got pulled off the, the golf course, and that was kind of a, onus, or, you know, a, a sign of things to come. So, you know, that, that, those weather conditions can change the golf course very quickly, and I think that's what we're looking at over the weekend. Uh, our, go- our guest uh, is uh, from golfnewsnow.ca, Ian Hutchinson. Uh, we're talking about the Open Championship and, uh, I guess, the weather more than anything else. Uh, are you surprised uh, on the leaderboard right now three of the top four names are Americans? Nope. Nope, not at all. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at Jordan Spieth, for example, you know, I, yeah, I, I heard a lot of second-guessing of Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, coming into this thing, you know, they're, you know, it's almost like an emergency that he he hasn't won a, a major championship in two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sitting there going, what? I mean, this kid's 23 years old. You know, we tend to forget all things like that. You know, so so to see a guy like Jordan Spieth up there, especially a guy who can deal with those pot bunkers, as we as we all yeah. saw yesterday. I mean, he can get out of those pot bunkers, and that's very important on this golf course. So to see him doing as well as he is, no, that's not a big surprise. Matt Kuchar, for example, um, you know, there's probably right now, debatably anyway, um, is that a word, debatably? It is uh, now. <laughs> that's why I'm a bon vivant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's, there's probably a guy who arguably is, is, is the best player never to win a major. So, you know, he's, he's 
not surprising to see him up there. Brooks Kepka. <laughs> The guy, the guy was a robot during the U.S. Open when yeah. he won that. Yeah. You know, he, I, I remember him on the on the final few holes when he was wrapping it up at, back at the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. He showed no emotion. It was just like he was steel. And yet, when he walked off that course after eighteen, after he knew he won it, he just broke down. Mm-hmm. You know, so he had all that that pent up emotion. He just let it loose. As you know, once the tournament was over, so he's he's able to deal with that any kind of trouble that he may get into. And there's another guy who yesterday got out of those pot bunkers very, you know, to, with great success. You know, so he's going to be in there. So, no, I mean, really, to see those Americans up there, not a big surprise as far as I'm concerned. And that may change on the weekend, like I say. How you know what it's like at this in this era of golf where so many guys are so good and it seems to be either the putter or what's going on between the ears that makes the difference? Absolutely. Rory McIlroy has, by his standards, not played well at the majors over the last few years. Yeah, uh, last but, hand, last three or four. Yesterday, he starts out going, and I sat here in this chair looking at his, his scorecard, and my jaw dropped when I saw bogey, par, bogey, 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 bogey to start. Mm-hmm. And then I drive home, I check the scores a little later in the afternoon, and I see that he's played himself back into contention, and then he goes out and does it again today. Most golfers, I would think, after starting five bogeys and six holes on this course in these conditions, knowing what was coming up on the weekend condition-wise, and yesterday was an opportunity to score, would have just self-destructed mentally. How, what is it about McElroy that allowed him to play through this? Well, from what I understand, too, it was something that, that his caddy said to him. He walked over to him, and he said, when he was going through that streak that you were talking about, he walked over to him, I think it was on the seventh hole or something. He says, look at you're Rory McElroy. You're not, you're not just some chump out there playing golf. You know, you're Rory McIlroy in the British Open. You should be playing that. And, yeah, it's really a, a matter of can you rebound from a streak like that. That's really what's going to, you know, long term over, you know, all four rounds, that's what's going to carry you through is that kind of belief in yourself and the fact that you can come back from a streak like that. You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, you look at um, just the fact that, you uh, um, you know, some of these guys have, have run into some, I, I mean, Austin, Austin Conley today, you know, ran into a couple of bogeys late in the round. Mm-hmm. But I think he's going to come out, you know, on the weekend, he's still going to say to himself, look, no one even expected me to be here on the weekend, you know, and here I am. You know, I'm, I'm in the top 10, well, as it stands right now, he's in the top 10. But he's going he's gonna to be able to deal with the fact that he had a couple of late bogeys, but it's not going to... It's not going to spook him at all, you know, going into the weekend, because he's he's confident now in his own belief and uh, or in his own talents, and that's really what's going to carry a guy like Rory McIlroy through. And you know, a guy who's already won major championships, he doesn't have to worry about that. All he's got to worry about is the next hole. So that's really, it's it's kind of a, it's, I know it's a cliche, but it's tee to green. You know, it's it's the next hole that counts. It's your next shot that counts, and that is a cliche. But you know, it really matters on a golf course like this in the British Open with weather conditions like this. Before we go, I did want to publicly congratulate you on the Lorne Rubenstein Award, which is uh, presented to uh, a member of the golf media in this province for major contributions to golf. Uh, much, much deserved, my friend. Uh, thank you for uh, for allowing us to read you for uh, for all of these years. And uh, uh, do you want to get a plug-in for the website? Uh, yes, uh, www.golfnewsnow.ca. Um, basically, we're a golf industry website, uh, Hoagie, and... Um, you know, we, um, but, you know, obviously we stay on top of everything that's going on out in the golf world. So I appreciate your, uh, your thoughts and your sentiments. And certainly, you know, on the Rubenstein Award, I got to, 
you know, give a credit to to um, the fellow who it's named after, Lauren Rubenstein. I mean, you know, just to be mentioned in the same breath as that guy um, is a real honor for, as far as I'm concerned. Well played. Thanks, Hutch. You Much bet, appreciated. Hutch. Stay well. Ian Hutchinson joining us, a uh, longtime writer. And, again, his website is golfnewsnow.ca. It's for, uh, for the Canadian golf industry, but if you want to take a look, well... That's a good spot to find it. And our golf, in, uh, golf Insider today brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. Up next, the friend of the Garfoos, Mr. Dirk Hayhurst, as we continue with Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Today, Mike Hogan in for Wheeler. He's back next week. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Time for the Baseball Insider, brought to you by Oakland Ford Lincoln, your premier source for auto service and sales in the GTA. Little Blue Jays talk with the friend of the Garfoos, Mr. Dirk Hayhurst. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing so good. How so you doing, Good, good, good. How is the Garfoos? Well, I keep them fat and sleek and, you know. Fat and well sleek. Fed. That's good. Yeah. Fat, <laughs> sleek, shiny. Yeah, very nice. Um, split with Boston, so I assume all is well in the world right now. Oh yeah, no. Just by splitting with Boston, the Blue Jays have instantaneously propelled their ability to win the World Series all the way up to you know the first place. Like they, they're, they're, it's going to happen now. All they have to do is like you know win nine un- uninterrupted games, and everyone else has to lose nine interrupted games, and uh, also figure out how to stop the worldwide conspiracy that puts blisters on the hands of everyone who's ever thrown a baseball, and also probably like world peace and inner peace while you're at it. Why not? Because, you know, yep. why outer peace and not inner peace? I don't, I don't know. You know, someone should get on that. Anyway, so, yeah, they do those things, and, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all coming together. You ever have together. you ever have a blister or fear you were developing one? Oh, I had blisters all the time, my man. Yeah, all the time. How'd yeah. you deal with um, it? I used to. Well, so we talked about this plenty of times. Like you know, when you throw and the fingernail splits across the side, yeah. it's a uh, it's a horror story. But uh, when you throw, you occasionally will get blisters on your fingers. And you know what I did? It's, what? It's crazy. It's the craziest thing. Okay. I just sucked it up and kept throwing. <laughs> so weird, I know. <laughs> it's strange. Wow, like you this, radical. It's, it's, there's an important thing you have to understand here, okay? If you are the future Cy Young winner of the AL, which is what Aaron Sanchez was supposed to be, yeah. if you're the future Cy Young winner of a division, um, you can say, I hurt my finger, I need time on the DL, and you get it. And, and like, your agent, like, you know, how dare you tyrannical uh, dictators of baseball force my young future meal ticket to throw when he has a blister on his hand. It's horrible, the treatment. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. That's what happens. But when you're, like, the guy who's like, God, I'm just happy to be here on the roster enjoying, yeah. like, my, my 401K and uh, the pension uh, oh, no, my hand? No. I may have lost a finger, but I'm fine. I'll pitch through it. It's no big deal. You can't say anything. So this is a this is like a privileged injury. I don't mean to make complete light of it mm-hmm. because it can interfere with your ability to throw. But you also have to decide if you are going to be that guy whose entire career trajectory is going to be dictated by a blister. Or if you're going to be that guy that says, damn the torpedoes, ramming speed, I'm going to get through this no matter what because it's getting a little ridiculous. 
and they're not going to be anyone's meal ticket if I essentially let the fact that I can only pitch every, like, 15-plus days because I throw one time and go on the DL because of a blister, you're, you're, you're worthless to baseball. Did, so you've got to find a solution. With you personally, was it just a pain threshold thing, or what, did, you, did you find that you had to take something out of the repertoire because you couldn't throw it properly? No, I, I found that I would, you know, my hand would, like, it would swell up. I'd get the blister. Sometimes it would bleed, you mm-hmm. know. And I found that what I would have to do is, is just throw until it went numb and just continue to push through it. And the worst part was just getting started the next day, you know, because the pain receptors are all fresh and, you know, it's hurting and you feel it. But you, you kind of have to work through that or figure out some kind of like stopgap measure to kind of get through it. You know, I've taped my fingernails. I've, I've had them professionally done. I used to put super glue. I put epoxy on my fingernails. I mean, anything to make my fingernail harder so that there was less play in the skin when the ball rolled off the fingertip mm-hmm. so that it chewed up less than my finger. I've tried a lot of stuff. And, you know, this, this like, thinking that baseball changed the, the balls so dramatically that it's creating an epidemic of, of blisters is a little ridiculous. You know how, like, unless they change the baseballs into, like, yeah, now we're making them out of uh, – out of granulated glass and sandpaper now, you know, it, we think it's just going to be more sustainable and earthy in the long term. You know, it's a solution we all need in this changing environment. Well, unless that's how this, this has happened, I don't buy it. I really don't. Dirk Hayhurst is joining us with his look at baseball. I admit I'm, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> bored right now uh, waiting for something to happen with the Blue Jays because it's been the same story every day for two weeks. You know, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And when we look at this, we're looking at the major league level, obviously. Um, and we, we think about the guys who are rumored to be traded from the major league level. But the other side of this is, you know, the rental player is going to be acquired for prospects. And when you're coming up through the Padres organization, um, you made several stops at different levels. And was there much talk at the minor league level about what was going on with the trade deadline at the, at the major league level? Well, it depends on where you were. You know, if you got to the, um, well, if you're in the low minors, right, like, and, and a big leaguer is traded and you get back a handful of prospects, and some of those prospects are, are minor, like low minors guys. They are, say, first-rounders that just got drafted or something like that yeah. were traded, and they come back. You kind of treat them like the new kid at school. Like, he's, he's more mysterious, and all the girls think he's handsome, and, uh, you know, like he's, you know, is, I, I don't know, like is his father a secret government agent, and he has to move, his real last name. It's just strange. Like, and you think he's better. You think he's better at everything than you are. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, because, because you, and you assume that because he got traded for a big leaguer. Sure. So in your feeble little minor league brain, you're like, that guy is worth exactly X amount of big leaguers. And we ain't worth anything. <laughs> We're garbage <laughs> compared to this guy. So he must be good. I, we better stay out of his way you know, or make friends with him. So when he goes to the big leagues, he takes us with him because that'll happen. So that happens at low levels. But as you go up the ladder, you start to hope and pray that the guy above you gets traded. You oh, know? yeah, because sure. Then yeah. The, yeah. yeah, then the team's just throwing in the towel, right? And you're like, great, there's nobody good up there. And now it's like open auditions for the last month of the season. And yeah. so September becomes like, Let's just double the size of the roster and have spring training in September to see who the next candidate will be to fill a position at the top. And the joke's on all of us because, sure, we get a little big league time, but 
they're gonna they're just gonna buy more talent in the off season. They're gonna look for more sexy trades from other places and bring them in because you know other people are doing it right because we're obviously not. So we might, we might as well go find somebody else. So, but that's usually how it goes when you're in the lower levels coming up through the system. A lot of time on your hands, obviously, with the travel. Um, did did you guys talk a lot about the majors, or were you just hoping that the bus didn't break down and you're more interested in finding your next cold beer? Only every day do we talk about what was going on up there. Oh, yeah? You know, all the time. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Like, because that's where you want to be. Sure. And you, you're trying to, like, hatch a conspiracy based on why somebody's not, like, someone's not going to get promoted or whatever. And, and uh, I used to have a trainer that would, like, play into this real hardcore. Like, he'd feed us false rumors about somebody having like a, a an 11th toe removed or something and he just watched it circulate around and all of us like hyenas on the bus just like bark and claw at each other about who's going to get picked to replace that you know and and I actually had one guy like I got in a fight with the trainer once because some of them are total pricks they don't get paid very much the work's yeah. hard they're away from the family all the time sure. and he was like he was like you know what you know who writes the reports about attitude around here I do and that's going right to the major league level. Nice. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I love you. I'm just testing you. It was all test. Yeah. That's awesome. That that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, back to the major league level and, and some of this trade stuff that just won't stop. Um, is there a market for Bautista right now? Sure. Yeah. Like yeah, who would want I can think of a, I can think of a lot of softball teams that would love to have them on their, <laughs> their lineup wow. right now. No, Ouch. no, no, no. I'm I joke. I joke. I joke. Actually, I did. I did refer. I was just on uh, Indians broadcast here before you called, and and I was like, guys, I'm sorry. I don't know all of your Indians prospects because I've been too focused on the bedwetters in Toronto to care and they're like oh ouch zing and i'm like but kind of true you know yeah. <laughs> so um but this has been a bedwet year for bautista not just for the team but also for his uh his ability to like financially position himself you know this is one of those like buyout potential yeah. he had a huge year this year he could have bought himself out and got a bigger contract elsewhere and he, he's continued to decline you know, like the strikeout numbers, I and mean, he's walking a lot, power's way down. And so there is a market for him. And if you have somebody that's expressing interest considering his age, I would go ahead and let him go. I mean, that's my position on Bautista because he's going to be a good off-the-bench platoon option for somebody who's looking to pad some power depth into their organization. And if that's the case, I mean, there are so many people that he could potentially be a good fit for that are all trying to figure out, you know, where he could go. The trouble is he's not going to bring a healthy return back. Oh, you're going to eat most of the contract. Right. You know, they'll probably eat the the contract, but you're not going to get much back. And to be honest, you didn't have to resign him next year anyway. So this is like a pure short-term rental. So if if there's someplace he wants to go and you're getting any value back from it, at this point, I think I'd take it. Because you're probably going to try and find somebody else up up in his spot next year anyways. And I agree. Like, if if the Jays could give him away, um, why not? Just to to save a bit of money if they can. Because... Uh, but I'm looking at this from the other side. If if I'm a team that needs some pop in the lineup, A, I don't think you're getting that out of Batista now. B, uh, I don't think he can play right field anymore. C, he doesn't want to be a DH. So, you know, we know how competitive he is. I don't want to acquire somebody where if they're not in a perfect scenario for them, I don't want them sort of hanging around with the other guys on the ballpark if he's got a crappy mood. Yeah, well, look, he should never come back. He should I'll, never came back in the first place. I'll give you 18 million like, was, reasons why he did. Well, I know, I know, you, I know, but you you just have to know that like th- this 
this fan base was spent for him. Like it was, he was like a virus who consumed his host and needed to move on to a fresh victim, right? That's really yeah. what he needed. He needed a new infusion of blood with somebody else, and he got a, the best deal he was going to get here because the Blue Jays didn't side Edwin, so they had money and they needed some pop, and his value continued to decline as people just weren't willing to take on all the baggage and so forth. And he shows up here, and he's not a bad guy, but and the, I get the Blue Jays with your thinking, better the devil you know. Right, so you 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 go for it, but it just wasn't the atmosphere where you knew if you struggled and you came in here, you're going to get a lot of sympathy or support or options. Right, you know this is kind of like you made this position. We're going to let you do it again for a fair number, but if you don't show up, I mean, what what do we have to offer you that we had not offered you the previous season? So if you're someone like Jose Bautista who's changing. A new change of pace where you're, a, you're like a new guy to invest time and coaching and interest in to see if they can help you get over the hump, that booster shot, so to speak, that's a big thing. And players tend to discount that. And if I'm Jose Bautista, I, I, I think I consider going to some other team where I can be like a role player with the chance to play out of that role and collect some jewelry. Because yeah. I'll probably get to change my narrative and my perception and make more money because I'm going to be associated with the winner and I got to be an older leader in the postseason on whatever team I went. That's big. So if I'm Jose Bautista, I let that whole play every day thing go and I just accept the fact that I'm in decline right now and I'm going to do everything that I can to help whoever I can and before the lights go out. Well, I hope he takes that and takes that opportunity. He certainly earned it for what he's done here in Toronto. It's just we know how uh, you know how uh, intense he is, and uh, you know nobody works harder, so he can't take that away from him. And I, I, you know, I think that he needs to have the mindset where I'm still Jose Bautista to go up there and have a little bit of swagger because that's what drives him. Well, look, if you want to have swagger, that's fine, but swagger is only really as useful as your ability to back it up. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. So. You know, I mean, the whole fake it till you make it thing works, and then you make it, and like you don't fake it because you made it once before and can't make it anymore. It doesn't have the same like appeal. I think, I think the le- the holding on to what I once did as a justification for why I could someday do it again works to a certain degree. But for Jose Bautista, he's never going to be what he once was. Everyone in baseball knows that, and the numbers support it. What I would do now is focus on what I can't control, which is my ability to get on base through walks and my ability to capitalize on mistakes and pressure situations is still there, which makes me a good what? DH, pinch hitter, maybe mm-hmm. a platoon at first base from time to time. But he doesn't have the range and the durability that he used to have, and he doesn't have the consistent power to make him a threat in any lineup. So now he's just a name that deployed in the right situation can change the course of a game, and you've got to embrace that. Final question. Uh, you were once working on a book on adoption. Are you still writing? Uh, I am still writing, and I am still working on said book on adoption, but uh, I do not have an adoption report yet, so no? I can't say that the book is yet. So, How close? Thanks for asking. How close? Uh, I was one of those things where you go into the magic match machine, yeah. and you know, you just wait. You just wait and hope, and we're still in the waiting and hoping phase, but we are not in the, we have not progressed to the like terrified we're matched baby imminent phase nor have we regressed to the we're going to work let's just enjoy the free money (laughs) (laughs) because of not having kids phase either so nice so we're still looking for a kicking screaming pooping giant financial liability if that's what you're asking yeah but i'm not coming to live with you uh but thanks uh thanks for doing this and the best of luck with that more than anything else thanks dirk
Thanks a lot, Ogie. Take care. Will do. Dirk Hayhurst joining us. Our baseball insider brought to you by the Oakland Ford Lincoln Quick Lane, conveniently located at 570 Trafalgar Road in Oakville. We uh, get you ready for the arrival of one Scott MacArthur at 1 o'clock as we continue with Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Ten minutes before 1 o'clock, this is indeed Toronto Today. Hogan in for Wheeler. Uh, let's see, we have Scotty Mack coming up at 1 o'clock. You're on TSN 1050. Uh, we were talking off air before everything uh, got on the air about sort of the bad apples in sports. And our producer Joe Narsa brought up the name of one Pac-Man Jones and how he seems to have turned a corner. This just in. Cincinnati Bengals cornerback, this is from ESPN. Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Adam Jones has been suspended for the 2017 season opener for violating the NFL's personal conduct uh, conduct policy, the league announced today. Uh, Jones' suspension stems from his January arrest at a hotel in downtown Cincinnati after he allegedly pushed a security guard, poked him in the eye, and refused to comply with law enforcement officers. He had faced misdemeanor charges of assault, disorderly conduct, and obstructing official business, and a felony count of harassment, or harassment as it were, uh, with a bodily substance, but pleaded guilty in May to the obstruction charge and was sentenced to two days in jail, which had already been served. So there's, there's your role model, Joe. <laughs> I never said he was a role model. I just said he was suspended once for like not doing something, but being around something that happened. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the, uh, and this really opens another kettle of fish, but we were talking about O.J. Simpson earlier, whether he should be in a Hall of Fame. Um, if you run the NCAA, what do you do with somebody who either violates a, a code, a recruiting rule, anything like that, or... You know, uh, in the co- in the case of uh, Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, at Ole Miss at, uh, at Mississippi, uh, you know, found him calling hookers. You know, what, how do you deal with this stuff? This is just out of control. This this has been going on for years to varying degrees. Some is cheating to try to win. Some is just you're making the university look bad when you do something like this. The NCAA is interesting because sometimes I feel like in situations where they remove championships and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it sucks because the players did nothing wrong. So in that case, I mean, if you aim the penalty at the person and the school, it sucks because it hurts the players that were on the field that did what they did. They take away wins from them, championships. Yeah. And like you said, and that's when we were talking about the O.J. Simpson thing, was, well, you can ultimately never take away what they know they've done. Sure. But when it's in the history books, when it's ripped out of there, that takes a part of you out of there, right? So it, it it's tough, but I think the NCAA is correct in what they do because stiff penalties usually lead, well, you hopefully usually lead to people not wanting to commit those penalties. But, like, there are examples of the NCAA when sometimes they'll let something go and you go, how can they let that go? And then other times they go overboard. And there's a kid with the Argos now named Devere Posey. Devere Posey was a wide receiver at Ohio State um, with Terrell Pryor, and they got caught up in this uh, tattoo gate, as it were. And I asked him about that on the Double Blue podcast, and, you know, he was, he was very open about it. Um, if you want to go back and find that online. 
But he said, we were 18 or 19-year-old kids, and we had just won the conference championship, and we got a ring. And we were young and naive enough to think, well, we're going to win one every year. Why don't we get rid of these? You know, it's tough to have. We can't have a job in the summer, et cetera, et cetera. So this was an opportunity to make some money. And the guy that they sold the ring to, the guy that owned the tattoo parlor, got busted. Uh, the cops wanted him. And I think his quote was, and the NCAA got what they wanted as well, which was the heads of, I think, five Ohio State, State players on a platter. And he was suspended for five games, appealed, and they actually added to the suspension. So I think he was gone for 10 in total. That's That one is killing a mosquito with a hand grenade, right? I mean, you, 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 it's an 18-year-old kid. You know the violations as well. But, man, this when I see stuff like that compared to what adults are doing, I have a lot more sympathy for a kid in his late teens, early 20s who needs a couple of bucks trying to do something, especially for the guys who aren't going to play pro football, um, as opposed to, you know, some 45-year-old who goes out and and is constantly violating recruiting rules. I have more contempt for somebody like that than I do for the kid who's just trying to uh, to move forward with his career and with his life. I guess it, the NCAA has always been something that has confused me. And I will admit... As somebody who once absolutely loved college basketball and college football, because of the crap that goes on at the NCAA, I I find myself liking the sport less and less and less and less. I don't know if you feel the same way, but that's just the way I feel about the NCAA at this stage. It's just, it's big business. Uh, there's a, there's way too many crooked things going on uh, with the teams, with the schools, with the with the organization. I just have no interest anymore. It really has hurt my fandom for that level of sport. So I don't know. I just I, I, I see stuff like that and you know, freeze quit. He'll probably get another job somewhere very quickly. That's just that's just the seem seems to be the way that it works. Uh, that is going to do it for the uh, program today. Uh, thank you, Mr. Narsa on the other side of the glass and for the week, our producer and uh, Keith Bauer. I hope you have a really, really bad fantasy baseball weekend since 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 your team is playing mine this week. Okay, thumbs up on the other side of the glass. Uh, Thanks to you for listening as well. Uh, Coming up, Scott MacArthur is in. Don't forget, between uh, 3 and 4 o'clock today, it will be the baseball hour. So it's the Scott MacArthur Show coming up next. My name's Mike Hogan. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll talk again on Monday here on TSN 1050.